Hello, I'm Jenny Thomas. And I'm Nick Heath, and welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement for the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. As a journalist friend and someone who lost a parent in my teenage years, my role in this series is to ask Jenny to share with us some stories, insight and guidance as to what's useful for anyone who is grieving or supporting someone who is bereaved. As a leading figure and pioneer in child bereavement, Jenny is the patron of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. On these podcasts, Jenny will share what children and parents have said was so important to them at this most difficult time in their lives. I hope you'll find what I've got to say and share with you beneficial. If you find any areas of what we discuss particularly difficult, I do encourage you to seek out a family member, a friend or counselling professional who is able to listen and be supportive. Jenny is regretfully unable to respond to any individual requests for support or counselling. But for more information on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, visit almt.org. And if you'd like further resources, you can head to Jenny's website on jennythomas.com or view the links in the podcast description. Well, hello, Jenny. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Nick. Good. How's your week been? It's been a good week. I've had lots of um, very enjoyable things to do with my own children. Excellent. Um, Well, episode three, uh, what are we discussing today? We're going to talk about children and grief and the ways that um, children may need to be helped um, when they have a situation that's very difficult for them to manage. Okay, and and what do you mean by by children? Is there a sort of an age bracket that that is in your mind, uh, over children in your mind? When I'm talking about it, I will talk about a young child, and I'm meaning then sort of two to five, and then I'll talk a bit more about when a child is about seven to ten. So I'll give some ages, and Mm -hmm. then um, probably 11 to 15 and and teenage years. So, yes, I'll I'll be able to do it like that, I think. Excellent. And and what about you in terms of your upbringing you as a young child and and perhaps how any grief or bereavement affected you yes I was um, unaware that I was a bereaved child it was only when I was training as a counsellor and part of my training meant that I had to have counselling for myself so Mm. I went for my very first counselling session and the counsellor that I saw asked me about myself and I told her I had a great mum and um, I'd got sisters and uh, and then I said oh I, I, I don't think it's ever had any effect on me but my father was killed he was a pilot in the second world war flying spitfires and he was coming back to my mum um, when he was shot down and uh, I told her that I didn't think that that had affected me and she looked at me in a very warm and caring way and she said so what happened to the little Jenny then and I was so taken back by the response that I had in in my body in me I just cried Mm. and I realized that I had had a lot of grief in Mm. my life as a child I obviously then came back to that a lot during the two years of counseling that I had then but you know that my mum had been deeply affected by the fact that he'd had 
Um, he, she thought he was missing for a long time, not realising he died. Because he was reported missing. Um, missing. Mm, that's yeah. right. And and then I only learnt quite a long lot later in my life that my uncle, my mum's only brother, was killed three months later, just like daddy, over Italy. So both his graves are in Italy. Um, and both their graves, rather, uh, are in Italy. And that I was very affected by grandparents who were deeply grieving, by a mother that actually had a nervous breakdown, or that's what it was called in those days. I expect it just was extreme grief. Mm. Um, So as a little child, I I was very affected. Do you think the mention of little Jenny was tapping into a bit of you that that either hadn't gone through the grief or that because of the support that you were unwittingly having to give your mum you were you were having to grow up a bit quicker than you might have done yes that's a good thought I think that what it was about actually was just having her caring of me I'm very good at offering support and care to people I'm not nearly so good at receiving it okay you know and I've learnt in my life now that that is what I need and I get plenty of it Mm. but it wasn't something I knew about then and it it was easier to give what I needed to people than to ask for it for myself and Mm. I think lots of people who work in this field do that Mm. they don't realize that it can be um, very helpful to stop and look at what is it that I need I mean I have supervision for my work now and I have done for the last 40 years because I realized that I couldn't do this work unless I was looked after too Mm. and it's not that every time I see a family I need counseling for myself but I do need to look at the effect it has on me yeah and sometimes it'll touch a bit of me that I don't really even realize is there and I'll come home and feel very sad. Or I remember, you know, being very affected by a mum who was dying, and I didn't understand what it was that was staying with me. And by talking that through with my supervisor of counselling, I realised, and and that was fine. I then could let that go. Mm. So talking about children and grief then, what would you say that may help a child that's managing the sad loss of someone important in their life? Well, children need to be given information at an age-appropriate time and in language they understand, so you'd have to adapt it for a child. Children need to see that you're grieving. It's helpful for the person that's talking about grief or someone dying to look like it is very sad. It's all right to cry with children. It's not helpful to be inconsolable because that can be frightening for them, but actually... Children learn about grief from watching us. So if you show that you're very sad, it's an appropriate thing to show. Mm. But it's also helpful to show that you can stop crying um, and that that's also all right. And they need a lot of extra affection, children. Um, They need to express their feelings if they can. But it's more how you say things to children than what you actually say. So I was just going to say, if you're encouraging children to express their feelings, how do you talk about perhaps what's happened in, in that scenario? Well, you need to use honest, really honest words. You need to say dead. You need to explain what dead means, that your body doesn't work anymore. I found in the work I do, 
or did in the hospital, it was very important to reassure the family and particularly the children that the nurses and doctors were doing everything they could to make the person that had died live, that nobody was negligent, um, no one did it on purpose. Um, and yes, and they just need that sort of information to be conveyed in a warm and loving voice. Mm. And with physical touch and hugs very often. Are there things that are important to avoid saying or things that, that might be seen as unhelpful? Yes, it's not useful to say mum's gone away, mummy's gone away, um, because children inver- invariably think that it's their fault if they, the person has left. Um, it's that they've been bad and that's why she had to leave. It's never helpful to say that. And it's not helpful to say God took mummy because she was so good. A child's reaction against God, an angry reaction, could be, I needed her. And fear of being good, I might be taken. Mm. You know, it's n- it's not helpful. You, you. And then daddy is sleeping forever is another thing. People often relate um, death to sleeping with children. Mm. And then they wonder why children are nervous about going to sleep. I remember one young boy actually at the, at the John Ratcliffe Hospital telling me that he was terribly frightened because he was only going to have a minor operation. But he was told he wouldn't hurt, it wouldn't be difficult because he'd just be put to sleep. And that's exactly what he'd been told when his mum died, mm. that she'd just been asleep Mm. so he was wasn't worried about the operation he was terrified about the anesthetic yeah i can entirely understand that um how important do you think it is uh, over the process of talking about these things working out what to say also how much exposure to perhaps give to from the child to the person that's died to, to seeing that person if um if it's possible it's obviously not always possible and it's probably something that has to be considered very carefully. But I have in many occasions helped a family to make a decision about letting a child see the person that's died. The thing that children need is preparation for that. So I remember two little boys being in A&E and their mum had died and she was in another room, obviously on a stretcher, and they were waiting for their dad to come out of London. He was stuck in lots of traffic and so we did lots of drawing and playing and just talking about general things and I gave them I even got them something to eat and then um, when dad arrived I asked him how he felt about the children once they were told that mummy had died that they could see her before they went home and he was open to that he was a really really very lovely dad and he said if you think it might be helpful um Let's think about that. So I explained that because the children were seven and ten, I could talk to them about what dead meant and mm-hmm. that their bodies, mum's body wouldn't work anymore and that she'd feel cold. And I also said that um, whenever children see somebody dead, it's very important to tell them exactly where, where the body will be and um, the position it'll be in. Mm-hmm. So I then went and had a look at where mum was. I asked one of the nurses to help me. And mum was lying on, on a stretcher covered in a sheet and her beautiful black hair was all over the pillow. And I just thought it looked like possibly somebody had done that to make her look really lovely. Mm. But I wasn't sure that was how the children would have remembered her. Right. So I came back and we 
chatted a bit more and I asked the children how mummy's hair what was her mummy's hair like what sort of hair did mummy have mm. and they told me she always wore it in a ponytail so I don't have to tell you the next job I did <laughs> was to put mummy's hair in a ponytail oh, wow. and when we went in to see her dad carried the younger child and the older child the 10 year old was came in with me um I don't think it's helpful to tell a child to give mummy a kiss or to touch her. You can do that if you want to. Um, I just touched her, their mummy's hair and I actually lifted the sheet back a little bit so they could see her hand, which was under the cover mm. with her, you know, with a ring on. But if you suggest to them they have to kiss her or they might want to kiss her and they don't, then they have to live with that all their life that they didn't kiss their mummy. That they opted out. That they opted out. So um, quite often children will do something if they're given time and it doesn't feel too scary. Mm. I always say, you know, when I touch mummy's face, it feels very cold, but it's very soft. Mm. Um, and I will touch the person that's died so children get an indication that that's all right to do. Yeah, it was extremely difficult for the dad. Mm. and uh, But afterwards, I mean, most of these families I've kept in touch with for quite a long time afterwards. And I know that that was not something he ever regretted. Mm. Because actually it explained to the children that she really had died. I mean, they did ask questions, especially the seven-year-old, asked questions a lot about death afterwards. But each time he could remember going in to see her. Mm. And he knew that she had died. So that dad, dad did very well in allowing that to happen. Where children are asking those questions, or some of them are remembering certain things perhaps related to that person, can it sometimes get repetitive? Is, is that a, a, I don't know, a symptom of, of someone's grief that things can, can be repeated and that sort of thing? Children will often ask the same question again and again, but particularly younger children. They're, right. they're, you, you know that you've told them this information. But I always say to parents, don't be surprised if you get asked all over again and a number of times. It's because children are trying to make sense of what you're saying. And they're also checking out that, you know, what you said in the first place really was what it is. Mm. So you need to just not get irritated with them. Just say it again. And Because um, it must be quite a challenge, I imagine, if you're a parent and perhaps you've lost a partner or you've, mm. you've lost another, mm. another child. You don't necessarily want to hear the other child going on and on about it but no. but having the patience to understand that it's just the process they're going through is important trying to take it on board it's such an enormous thing it's such a very very big thing and and really we need to be specific when we're talking to children we very young children are not able to understand that death is irreversible but they can understand that what death's like if you use the analogy of a broken toy um, and the dead person can't, cannot be mended. And although we want to, we cannot put, the, put it right. You mm. know, we can't mend it. Um, and explain that the body has just stopped working. It's useful not to say because of mummy's heart, mummy's head or whatever. Yeah. Because children will then feel that their heart or their head might not work. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's... And anything to avoid the panic of overthinking when a simple message will do. Yes, yes, and, and over-talking. Don't, don't say too much. Um, children will quite quickly have had enough. They can't stay with intensely painful things for very long. They'll switch out 
and want to do something else, mm. usually something fun or something to eat or, um, yeah, they, it, they won't stay with it. Is there a way of perceiving that as, do, do some people think that's a child shutting down their grief? Can it come across like that? Yes. And, and people will panic that they're not grieving in the right way? Or? That's right. People often think children aren't grieving, um, aren't grieving enough or aren't grieving properly. I think children usually grieve really well. It depends very much on the adults that they're with. Some children need a break, just like we do. Mm. You need to stop. And that's why children often like school, older children. They like going to school because there's not usually grief at school. Grief's at home. Mm. And they go to school and it's nice that it's just a normal day with normal teachers and normal lessons. The, the banality of school after I lost mum at 14 was entirely welcome. Yes. It, was, uh, it wasn't that I loved school because at that stage it, it wasn't particularly great or interesting or whatever, but the monotony of it mm. was just a curious solace, I remember. Um, so I can certainly identify with that. Um, what reassurance can be given to children in these scenarios? We've obviously talked about the things that they might overthink if we're, if we're talking about a heart, you know, not working and this sort of thing. But, but obviously parents will feel that they want to be able to give reassurance to children. And are there, are there ways in which you would recommend they do that? Well, when I think of reassurance for children, I think more about reassuring them that they're still loved, that they're precious. Right that they still have a family and that they're going to be looked after and cared for as long as they need until they're grown up. Mm. Um, there's a very nice educational model that uh, I really like. It's called I am, I have and I can. And those are three things that bereaved children need in abundance. And the I am is telling a child what you know it's, it is, what it's what its character is, what its personality is. So to be told that you're a kind little boy, if it's true, needs to be said an, a lot. Probably needs to be true as well, doesn't it, <laughs> to a large degree? Yes, or gentle or thoughtful or whatever. There are lots of things that yeah. children are wonderfully good at. So that that's the I am. And then the I have is I have people to love and support me. I've got whoever the surviving parent is, hopefully. I mean, sometimes both parents are killed, but I, you have parents. You've got, again, hopefully you've got a granny or grandpa, aunties, uncles, friends. The dinner lady can be a really big thing for some little children because they can be really kind at playtime or come out and talk to the child about mm. the parent that's died. Children have told me about dinner ladies. So, um, what, a, yes. what a wonderful breed they are. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and you need to keep things with children who've been bereaved as normal as possible. So, you know, getting up at the same sort of time, going to bed at the same sort of time, if possible, being in the same home, having the same people around. I mean, not everyone's lucky enough to do that because sometimes if the main breadwinner dies, you have to move home and they leave their schools. And those are the children that really do struggle. Mm. It's helpful to keep them in their same home. It's not useful to send them off to another place to live if you can help it. Mm. Um, but also the I can. And it's very important to tell children what they can do well. It might be making cupcakes. It might be anything. But and it must be truthful. Obviously, it must be truthful. But those sorts of things really help children to feel 
some self-esteem. We all need it, really, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. But if you're bereaved, you need it in bucket loads. Yeah. You touched on a few moments ago, sort of allowing children to see that, that there is grieving going on from the adults. Some people, I guess, may feel... I don't know a need or a thought that they should hide their grief so that the children can't see but do you, what, what do you think is helpful oh it's very helpful for children to see grief I think that um, they need to know what to do you know if, if they see a dad crying or if dad looks very angry and he says I just wish mummy was here to do this she'd know how to do it just recognize that those words will stay with the child and you need to give the child an opportunity to tell them why you're feeling angry that you know one of the things you do feel is because you miss her so much Mm. or that you're crying because you're so sad but it's not going to last forever and very often if children see someone sad they will instinctively know to go and give them a hug Mm. you know um on the whole that's what a child will do Mm. it will know and the person that they hug if they're helpful will say that really feels good Mm. it just makes me want to cry more but that's not a bad thing you tell children that crying and feeling angry and all those emotions are completely normal part and they don't stay forever you know one day they these won't be so important what do you think about when someone says that children can be very resilient? I think children can be resilient, but I think it's a bit of an overstatement. I mean, I think they're resilient if we do all the things that I've just talked about. They will get through it. Most children will manage a significant loss, and the loss of a parent in their life doesn't mean they're going to have a bad life. Mm. I think it's really important that we don't, think that it's the end of their world forever it's how they're then cared for and the sort of security and the honesty and the love that they're given that will help them another thing I was thinking about that's worth mentioning it very often in a family where there has been a loss of a child and the parents might be expecting another child and that child can come into the family having never known the brother or sister that's died. Mm. And it's a very important thing to explain to the the next child in the family how much you love the child that had died because it says something to your next child about how much you love them. Mm. So it's not about forgetting a child that's died. Um, It tells children about how important they are to all of us when when we show how much a child has missed when they've died. Uh, There's an inevitable question I think of there, which is, well, if I was that second child and I've heard about how much the parents loved the first one, would it raise a question of whether whether they loved that child more than me? Is there a danger of that in any sense? I suppose there is. It would depend on how it's done. But most children tell me that they're pleased that that, that this this brother or sister was loved. A, A story I can tell you, if I can try and do it, briefly as a dad who told me that he noticed that when their son died his little daughter was sort of went right off him and he didn't know what was the matter with her she wouldn't let him take her to nursery anymore and you know he felt it was more than just her stage of development Mm. and in actual fact I said I'd 
come and play with this child for a bit and see if I thought there was anything. And during an afternoon of time with her, we were playing Lego and building Lego. She said a very strange thing. She just suddenly said to me, well, I, I don't love my daddy and my daddy doesn't love me. And I was very surprised. I said, oh, don't you love your daddy? And your daddy doesn't love you. I just repeated what she said. And she said, hmm. And then we played a bit more. And I said, do you know why you don't love your daddy or daddy doesn't love you? And she said very clearly, she said, when the baby, nay, I won't say the child's name, when this little brother died, mummy cried and cried and so did I. But daddy just went to work. So if I died, Daddy wouldn't mind. Mm. And I told him, because he asked me how I'd got on, and I told him about this conversation that had come up. And he said, what can I do about that, Jenny? And I said, well, I think you'll know. You know, now you know that that's what's going on. You need to find a way. I can't tell you. Mm. And he told me about three months later, he rang to say, I need to tell you that I found a way with her and she you're, was, doing, you're doing well to not drop the names. It's very good. Carry it's on. very difficult. Um, and he was watching football one afternoon and mum had gone to have her hair done and he was with this little girl and she was playing again on, on the lounge carpet and he was watching football and he turned the football off and got down on the carpet to play with whatever Lego, whatever it was she was doing. And she said, Daddy, why aren't you watching the television? You, you're watching, we were watching football. And he said, because um, I, I'm feeling very sad. I always thought if I had a little boy, I'd take him to football. And I'm just really missing your little brother. And he mentioned his name. And this little girl, she was only about four and a half, she put her arm around her daddy and she said, I'll play football with you. I'll be here, daddy, for football. And, you know, that was really very important that mm. he, and he told me afterwards there, there was no more problem with him Amazing. bathing her or taking her to school. Um, well, they'd refound a connection, hadn't they? Yes. She, she, she got it, yeah. She just felt that it wouldn't really matter if she died. If So don't underestimate children picking up on things like that. Yeah, incredible. And I mean, finding a way to, to have that conversation and express it, I guess some children may more try and contain their pain. How can you try and, try and help children who might be in, in that sort of place? Well, children will do it in their own time and depending on what's going on in the family. So don't expect them to do it when you think they will and lots of children are fine a lot of the time and if they're not talking about it it doesn't mean they're bottling it up necessarily but I do say to parents if they can make time to have some family time you know one of the things I think is really helpful for children with a surviving parent is to maybe just get into bed together on a Sunday morning and just talk about your week what was what was good this week and what was hard and as the parent, the surviving parent, tell them what you found really hard. Don't be worried to show months afterwards that you're still missing the mum or dad. Mm. Um, it, you know, children will watch you. And if, if you can do it, they will also very tentatively do it. It's not worth ever commenting on what they say in a judgmental way. Don't worry about what they say. Just let them say it. Okay. 
Yeah, and and what other things do you think you can you can talk about with children in those environments? Whether it's I don't know favorite places or, or holidays, memories, even music that that the person who's longer around would have been into those sorts of memories yes. must play a key yes. role. Yes, I, I remember one wonderful um, family that um, the father was killed in a motorcycle accident, and they did uh, with the children. They did um, the mother and the granny did collage of um, daddy as a boy, so lots of pictures, and the, the, the children also drew some pictures of their own on this big picture collage. Then daddy as a young man, and then daddy as an adult, and then daddy as a daddy. So they had three big collages, mm. and this little child, when I went to see him, they were all under a bed. Um, under the bed and he really enjoyed pulling it out and telling me about his daddy and the sort of child he was, the sort of man he was, the sort of daddy he was. It was really lovely. It's Mm. a very helpful way. And also, if you go somewhere um, with a child, tell them that this is the sort of place that we brought you when you were a baby. Mm. Mummy would push the buggy here with you in it. Mm. You know, give them some ideas about the things that happened. Because mm. quite often bereaved children don't know anything about their, when they were young because their mum's gone and they, they haven't got her to ask, you know, did you breastfeed me even? You know, you need those sort of things to make it sort of feel like... Complete the picture. Complete the picture. I spoke about having a jigsaw. It's part of this business about adults need to be able to have as much information as they possibly can Mm. to complete a picture about the person that's died and how they died. Well, children aren't aren't very different. Yeah. Um, and what about things like pets, for example? I mean, they can yes. often kids have quite a quite a strong bond with the family dog, the family cat, the the hamster, whatever. They, they, a sense you must have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, our, our golden retriever Sam was. I think it's that sense that. I mean, the the great thing about animals that give unconditional love is that whether you know you know deep down they're not really able to listen but they are listening and they're there and there's something i always think sixth sense about those pets that know you're upset and you can just sit next to them and have a cuddle and a pet and they will just they will sometimes just sit there and know they're being there for you and i definitely got that from our family dog after mum had died and i was and- recently actually with a family where the little boy who um is 11 was Um, had just been introduced to me and he was obviously a bit worried about talking about anything with me but he just um, spent the whole time I was in his presence in in their kitchen just holding on to their dog Mm. and telling the dog he loved it and being very warm and affectionate towards the dog and I thought it was really lovely it was Mm. his real comfort blanket and Mm. there was no need for me to say very much more I just asked him a bit about you know, just his day, and I didn't need to bring up the loss of his mum. And uh, quite often it's important for the surviving parent to realise that children can just put grief down. They can just stop grieving and have a break, just like we need to. And very often, even when very shocking things have happened, they can react in a way that people think is really odd. I remember being on the children's ward where um, a young little girl died quite a small little girl I think she was about a year or so old no no she must have been two and her little brother was there and um dad um 
suggested to the little brother that he might like to see his little sister, that she had died and she was there in the cot. And this little chap looked and saw that his sister was clearly dead. Mm. But his reaction was, well, I can have her tricycle now, can't I? You know, his first thing he wanted was to claim some of her stuff. Yeah. Dad looked a bit shocked, and I said, that's so natural. Mm. You know, it's it's not that he's not affected. Because people often think children aren't affected because they do things they don't, ex- they don't expect children to do. Mm. Don't think they're not affected. Children grieve just like we grieve, but they have different ways of showing it. They can't express it in the way we do. Um, yeah, and, because of their emotional immaturity, and and can you see that in in the way children might play related to their grief? Yes, yes. I, I remember going to see a family where a baby had died, and um, a little baby girl. And I went to see the parents at home, and the other little sister and brother were in the kitchen playing in a doll's, um, one of these tented sort of doll's houses. Mm. And I don't know if it was because I was there or whether they did it all the time, but they were playing dead dollies. And they were talking about this dolly being dead, and now you make her come alive, the one would say. And then the one little, the youngest little child just chucked the dolly out of the the house. You know, she didn't want it really. It was extremely upsetting for the mum. I can imagine. But it wasn't upsetting at all really for me. I just explained that they're acting out their feelings. Yeah. Um, and are there other ways you've found to help children express themselves? I love something. I've always got in the boot of my car and I um, have a tin of buttons and stones and shells, all sorts of very small items. And I usually tip them out wherever I am with a child that's bereaved and ask them just to pick something there that reminds them of them. It could be at the moment. Reminds them of themselves as yes. a child rather, yes. rather or, than... Well, just, uh, just about, no, it would be a child, I would say, I mean, I would, I did this with a family where a 12-year-old died and there were four other children in the family and we all sat around the kitchen table and I tipped the buttons and stones out on the table as a way of getting to know them and mm. their relationship with the brother that had died. Okay. And... Um, this family would be all right for me to talk about who it was. And the brother was called Benny. And each child from, I think the youngest was six, right up to the older one who was 16 or 17, talked about um, themselves. So they picked a stone that was about them. Mm-hmm. And then they picked a stone about their mum and dad. So this, what, what did this remind you? What reminded you about this stone? And, and then they picked a stone that reminded them of Benny. And then they put them down as close as they wanted to, to the stone that was them. Mm. And it just was a wonderful way for the whole family to hear how everybody was and what their and we took quite a long time to do it. There was no hurry. Mm. Um, and it gives you a real sense of, you know, this is what's going on in this family. And I remember one little boy that did it, not in that situation, but he asked afterwards if he could keep what he'd picked for his mum. And I said, of course, yes, which one is it? And which one do you want to keep? And he said, it's the pearl button. He said that he wanted that. And I told him he could keep it. His dad told me he was... um. He was about nine. His dad told me later 
that he always kept that very close to his bedside. It was on his bedside table. He he somehow identified with mm. this rather lovely pearl button that he'd chosen in telling me about himself and his family. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And more, some children will write. If, you know, one of the children in the family where I've just talked about Benny, um, Anna wrote very much about how she felt about having a brother that had died. You know, she wrote at school. Mm. And she also wrote something about, I find it very upsetting because mummy and daddy keep crying. Um, and that's all right. Mm. Of course, that is upsetting. And and I guess drawing and art, the collages you've already mentioned, yes. that sort of thing. Art is really great. But any, but don't interpret it. Don't say. I remember a little boy doing something all in blue, and I thought, "Oh, this little chap's so sad." I was completely wrong when I said to him, "Can you tell me about blue? What's blue for you?" And he looked at me and he said, "Can't you see? I've got blue eyes, just like my mummy." And it's his mummy had died. I said, I can see. She must have had very blue eyes. But, you know, it wouldn't have been helpful if I'd said, interpreted it yeah. in, in what I thought it was. Yeah, okay. In a family unit, you may have grandparents. Obviously, you may be the parent that's, that's grieving the loss of a child or you may have a partner that's died. In that family scenario, how, how easy is it to manage your grief relative to, to the generations, I suppose? Well, always remember that, you know, if you're the adult, you'll grieve too. So you're not only acutely grieving the loss of someone very important in your life, you're also trying to help your child. So just be gentle on yourself because it's a really, really very tough time. It's Mm. extremely difficult. Um, and it's even more difficult in some situations. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that some deaths are worse than others, but some are more complicated. So if someone's taken their life through suicide, that's really difficult to manage. Manage your own feelings, manage the children that are affected by the suicide. Mm. And just remember that you can only do your best one day at a time and be realistic about what you expect from yourself. Tap into other resources for help. For yourself, but also remember to tap into them for your child, Mm. your family and friends. And if you've had a bad day, put it behind you and have another go. Understand and accept the loss of energy, emotional and physical, and try and care for yourself as well. Grieving is extremely tiring. I don't know if you know, if you can even remember what it was like for you, but long time ago, or even now, mm. you know, doing these sort of series, it's exhausting. Mm. And, you know, it when it's someone that's close to you that you've just lost, your energy levels will be extremely low. So it's very tiring. And for children, we need to be mindful that children, if they're bereaved children, are more inclined to have accidents. So it's helpful to go slowly. Don't expect children to hurry. It's not helpful if they've had some very bad news to let them go out on their bike in a way that you might have. It's just remember that particular activities can be very difficult to, you know, to take, keep an eye on. Just to be mindful. Mm, Be mindful. And you'll need to get away. If you're the adult, you need to get away from your family at times, your grieving family, even though you, you, you know they need you. This isn't selfish. This is healthy selfishness. Mm. To survive the huge task of mourning, you have to care for yourself the way 
The best mother in the world would care for you. Put your guilt down occasionally because you can't meet all the needs of your child. Remember, he has resources of his own and eventually you will both have been strengthened by this experience in a way that other people who have not been through this will never be. Don't despair. We need you and your experience in the world. Hmm. Believe in yourself and believe in your future, both for you and for your family. So those are really important words. You mentioned grandparents. But you yes, have... I think and no, I think grandparents are terribly important. I think it's... Uh, I think... The... I don't, sorry, I need to give you a cue into that yes. rather than... Um, do grandparents have a role to play? Oh, I think very often grandparents are an enormous help. They show the child that family's still... They're still a family... They also can help the surviving parent by giving them breaks, by looking after the children. And it's actually really nice as a grandparent to feel like you're needed. You know, even if you're grieving hugely, it's nice to be included in your grandchildren's care. Um, yes, I think that's very important. Uh, and one of the other things that's often isn't so helpful with grandparents is that when a child is bereaved, it's quite useful to remember that there need to be clear rules and to reinforce things that have always been the family rule. So just because you're sad and distracted doesn't mean that it's easy for a child, and particularly an older child, to do things that they were never allowed to do before. Mm -hmm. And granny and grandpa and auntie and uncle need to stay within the family rules. It's not helpful to then think you can spoil her a bit or allow her a slack. It actually makes children feel quite insecure if things change too much mm. in the whole area of authority. Yeah, okay. um, I can really identify with that. I found it unhelpful to be allowed to do what I liked. Yeah. And um, I needed the boundaries that good parenting offers. Yeah, yeah, okay. And from going from what you talked about a, a couple of moments ago with the grandparents, obviously at the other end of the age spectrum, you may have little babies that are within a family where, where grieving is present. And I know that you've got some words on, on the fact that, that they need to have their needs met as well. Yes, definitely. It doesn't matter how little they are. A small child will be um, shocked by the sudden disappearance of someone they depend on. Um, he or she will also be really distressed that this uh, about this and, and may cry every time he's held or whenever he's put to bed or she's put to bed. Mm. He can become sad and subdued and distressed in, and not even interested in their surroundings anymore. Because there is still, I guess, there's a shock element of losing whoever was close. Oh, you lose the smell of the person, you lose the way they held you, you miss their voice. Mm. I mean, those sorts of things can be really difficult for a little child. Uh, and they can't tolerate this loss, these feelings for very long, and will eventually turn to someone else who can provide for his needs. But it, it takes time um, and a consistent, loving parenting figure. And often that can be a grandparent. 
and also with teenagers, with adolescents, it can be really important that the rest of the family are, are aware that they will need support, but they, they often need it differently. Mm. They're not as able to talk about how they feel, nor do they want to, um, about in, inner feelings. I mean, it's such a difficult age anyway. Yeah. So much is happening, so many changes are going on. And if they know family members, if there's an uncle or there's an aunt or there's a granny or grandpa that they know really well, they're likely to enjoy being around them, but they might not want to particularly talk about it. Mm. And not to be concerned that because the child is not talking about it, that they're not all right. Yeah. Most of those children talk to friends or talk to somebody, might even be someone, you know, that they hardly know they might tell about it. I don't know about you. Do you, you, you were 14, weren't you? How I was, was it yeah. for you, Nick? I mean, I, I think there's definitely truth in the having people around bit because I wouldn't have necessarily been doing a whole lot of sort of confiding or talking with people necessarily, but... The presence of a lot of people I certainly found supportive because you felt like people were there if, if you needed them to be. And I, and I think looking back on it, I think there probably were conversations that were being had with aunts and uncles or close family friends with my dad while I would be present or or those sorts of things. And it wouldn't necessarily be as direct as and how are you or whatever, because mm. you're probably right. At 14, I probably wasn't quite sure how I would want to answer that, even if I was willing to answer it in the first place. Um, yes. but, but I think listening to the, knowing that people cared around us felt like, I don't know, the, the well was full of, of support. Um, and so I think that made it feel easier. And it is down to things like, people bringing round a lasagna to put in your freezer and those kind of things. And actually at a point where you, you know, I wouldn't have been entirely aware of it, but we're actually looking back on it. The, the remaining parent, my dad in this instance is probably not thinking, is there enough toilet roll in the upstairs bathroom? Is there dinner tomorrow night? Is there this, is there that? And so actually all the things that people can do around that, that just, I don't know, Prop up the walls is probably the best way I can describe it. Can, can you tell me, do you remember being embarrassed at all by people? No, I don't. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think that was a feeling I had. Um, I remember going into school the day after mum had died and there was a lady there who was my Spanish teacher at the time and she came running from about 10, 15 metres away um, and just threw her arms around me and she wouldn't have been my favourite teacher um, but she recognised a moment to sort of, I don't know, cross that line, for want of a better phrase. Mm. Um, mm. And I actually messaged her a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was due, before we were due to start recording this series to say, actually, she is a very prominent memory in my immediate grief mm. because it was so affectionate and so um, caring yeah. that, that I said, and she replied and she was almost able to, to put in, in words, we messaged via Facebook and, and she said, you know, I remember that moment distinctly. Um, so it's little things that people do, but you don't, at that age, I think you don't want to be in the centre of attention around grief and wanting people to make a big thing of you. Uh, I remember one child saying, well, he's about 12 or something. He said, ever since 
dad died, people ask me how I am and ruffle my hair. Oh, yeah. And you feel so irritated <laughs> by it. You yeah, know. that is embarrassing. I think it, whatever's <laughs> happened. I mean, I think people yeah. do that outside of whether it's a grieving situation or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think from my perspective, the, the, the support we had from the family helped. Um, because you come from an Irish, you've got your mum was Irish, so yeah. you've got that bit that I've said I found so much easier being yeah. in Ireland with grief. Yeah, and there were a lot of people around in the days before she died. She had terminal cancer, so you know, leading into, I mean, my mum and dad had celebrated their twenty fifth wedding anniversary, and I think, and then that night, as my mum went up, and she was she was pretty near the end in terms of her strength at that stage. Um, but she then fainted on the stairs and and I remember then I remember hearing the noise. I'd just gone to bed and it was literally the night that we'd had a few close friends and family around for them to, to sort of redo their vows, which was which was beautiful. But you know, mum was quite gaunt and unwell at that stage. But um but I remember then hearing that noise and going down and being one of the first people next to her and being absolutely convinced, even though I think she was she'd fainted, she was unconscious briefly. Um being convinced that she could hear me in some way and encouraging her to take breaths. Um, and then eventually she was moved into the bedroom where I, where I think she was for about seven to nine days or something. Before um, she actually died. Yeah. Um, and we had, you know, Macmillan nurses um, who came and her, or Ian Rennie nurses, I think who it was, um, who came and gave support. And I remember coming home and it sort of got to the point where it was, well, because school was, was on at the time. I think it was it had been... Um, maybe had it been Easter holidays or half term or something. And then I was back at school and it was, I was allowed to be at home if I wanted to be, but then the discussions came around. Well, right now we don't know how long it's going to be. So if you think you're willing or able to go back into school, that might just be the best place for you to be. And I was, I was happy to go along with that. Um, and then I remember coming home one afternoon and my aunt was downstairs and she said, I think you should go upstairs. Um, and I've never really asked this question, actually, but I walked in and, and my dad and my sister and brother were there and they said, she's gone. And then we all had a cry and I kissed her. Um, but I never quite, I've never asked the question as to whether she might have gone at two o'clock in the afternoon. And there was a, a situation created for my benefit at four o'clock by the time I was or half past four. I've no idea. It, it felt entirely natural and right to me and, and I've never really needed to question it. Mm. Um, mm. And, uh, but then... You know, there were so many. There were there were people over from Ireland at that time. Uh, there were other people locally, and and it just that night became. I remember it. It sort of there was a curious relief to it, mm. um, and you know, Mum had a strong faith, and so I know she had had said, "When I'm gone, you crack open the champagne because I'll be in a better place." Okay. Um, and that, I mean, almost in that kind of pre bereavement side of things, gave us something to do. We had yes. we had to celebrate for her, yes. um, and yeah. so I think there was music playing and stories being told and yeah, laughter and tears all at the same time. But it all the things we need to do at that. But you, as a teenager, were involved in that. You yeah. were part of that. And even talking to me now, it's really it's a real help mm. to see that actually you have memories of being included then, being yeah. allowed to say goodbye. Yeah, and that does make a difference. I mean, I think if you are fortunate enough to have that happen rather than it's a sudden death where you don't you're not involved at all mm. and nobody really knows how to involve the teenage children in that time 
Um, do you remember wanting people to talk to you more as as the sort of years went by, or was it was it did you find anyone that you found to talk to? Yeah, a little. I think. I mean, there was another guy who was in my year at school whose father had had, had killed himself, and it was within a relatively short period of time. And then because kids, adolescent kids at 14 or 15 can be horrible to teachers. Um, I remember being in school and us, and we had a, a sort of supply teacher and she was teaching us Spanish and obviously wanting to use phrases like, um, my father is a doctor. So, so, so uh, you say that. And so my friend whose father had died used to put his hand up when she would say, you say that to make her feel awkward because she'd already been briefed that his father had you know, was no longer around. And so we we used to do kind of horrible things like that as kids to try and catch people out. But at the same time, there was also something within that that was us making a marker amongst our peers that that we'd been bereaved. Um, Mm. I look at it as that now. I mean, as much as I think it was a horrible thing to do to catch a teacher out, I also go, well, there was... There was some some signalling going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, and then the friends I made in in the sort of last last two three years of school uh, have remained as my family really till this day, and and they've they've heard enough about her and and would know her name and and bits and pieces. But there will be moments because I think because the, I think the family support and the network of 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 who was around to give that was so strong. I've never felt like I left a stone unturned in my grief, if, if that's mm. a good way to put it. Mm. Um, I feel like I did what I needed to do. Uh, and and does it, has it, do you feel it's affected you in an adverse way in your life? Uh, I think it's affected me very much for the positive. Um, I, think, I think experiencing a closeness to death at that age is a real kick up the arse to go you know, whether you've got a faith or not, to use the phrase, you're here, but for the grace of God. Mm. So get on and start doing the things you want to do or start, you know, don't, don't waste time hanging around because you don't know how long you've got, uh, you know, mm. on this roller coaster. Um, and I think that's motivated me to always want to do things that I enjoy or, or take satisfaction from more, uh, th- more than things like going through the motions of stuff. Yes, and if I, if I were to say to you now... I think your mum would be very proud of you. What does that? What's that like? Is that is that an all right thing for me to say to you? Yeah, um, I think you know. I look back and because I've I've learned and I've got a far deeper emotional uh, vocabulary now than I did when she died. I mean, I think that's one thing I would say is that anybody who loses a parent when they're older or a partner, I think it's it it is so much more challenging than perhaps when you're a kid because even at 14 you're not five but you're also not 25 Mm. and so Mm. things are either good or they're bad really Mm. and yes there are complexities within that but I that's sort of how I see them and so you know when I I had a bad breakup in my late 20s I needed more counseling for that than I did the death of my mum and you can feel guilty about that going but this 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 is just a you know someone I've been I've been dating for a year, but but actually my emotional depth at that time was so much greater. I needed a lot more support with how I felt then than at fourteen when I went. Yeah, this isn't great, but you know it's there are a lot of people that care about me. Yeah, and and it's 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 also not great if the television doesn't work, and it's also not great if I lost a 
game of tennis with my friend earlier. Now I'm not saying I equated them all, but it, but just you know things not things not oh things not being good were just things not being good. Whereas it wasn't, you know, I, I, I look at my dad who lost a wife. I look at my sister who was nine years older than me and, and had a much stronger mother-daughter relationship. Um, and I was 14. And although I had a great relationship with her, I, I don't feel like I've got a ton of memories of my own, of a depth of relationship, which, which in a way probably has made the, the bereavement and grief element a little easier for me to deal with. Um, but but you like you like to remember your mum. You like it, the people do remember her and yeah. did care about her. You that feels good for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important. You know, my partner's never met her, but it's important for me to have to have put her in context. And we were recently in Ireland and met my uncle for the first time. Uh, it was the first time Tom had met him, and I was like, "Well, this is my mum's brother." So there's a connection through that because. Mm-hmm all the people before us make up who we are now. And so I think it's Mm. important that people get Mm. those connections. Mm. Yes, thank you so much. I think that's really helpful. And um, I'm pleased because it feels like a lot of what I see is where children are managed in a really helpful way when there's a death in the family, if someone Mm. as important as their mum or dad or maybe brother or sister, and they are all right. Mm. They do manage to have... A good life. I think what it does do, it does make you aware that it's other losses after the loss of a parent can be difficult to deal with. You've just explained you, but I think it's to do with the fact that actually any change Mm. after something as big as the change you experienced, um, it it puts makes you more. Um, sensitive to it, yeah, I dare, more vulnerable. I dare say another another bereavement in my life, which will happen, will you know bring all of that sort of stuff back. Um, whether it brings it back or whether it's just that you might feel it more yeah. strongly than you expect. I mean, it could be a dog. Yeah, yeah. You know, people care deeply don't, about their pets. Don't and- get me started on Marley and me. I, I can't watch that without being an absolute piece. It's, but that's got yeah. something to do with it because yeah. that's, that's, that's also about mum <laughs> we had a golden retriever the whole time that mum was ill and, yes. and he was someone I spoke to so yeah that's that's all wrapped up in it yes so it's not that it's it's not quite the same as if you've never had any loss in your life no but... and, I, and I actually do think if you know if I can add any advice into the podcast I think I think actually although anybody going through bereavement can be struggling with it I found I found myself so so sort of armed for the rest of life from it having happened to me because once you do get to the point of realizing that it's going to be okay and you can you can get on then i'm not as daunted and afraid by the idea of of what loss there is to come because Your i death. but yeah because i know i've uh, it's it's okay i've done all right and and that i think is important to remember good yes thank you for your you know part in this that's been very helpful yeah no no problem at all um so children and grief i know that uh you've got some important resources that are beneficial to people there are lots of very very good things out there um and i would just encourage people to look on some charity websites they list them and they also give you a synopsis of what is in that the particular book. I can talk about one that I wrote with um, a bereaved mum called Caroline Jay. We wrote a book about what does dead mean? And it's very simple. It's just some of what I've talked about. It's um, 
preparing children for death and it's talking about death and it's for children from quite a young age. What does dead mean to a child from the age of about three? Mm. But it's always important that the parents look at this. Quite often it's the parents that need mm. to look at this. Uh, the other resource that's very helpful, it's on my website, is my book about me. And it's about a, a parent who is not expected to live talking to the child about not having long to live or, or having a very serious illness. Which has to be one of the toughest conversations anyone is ever going to have, right? Yes, it's very, very difficult. But it's a book where you have, you paste a picture on the front that's a picture of you because the person who's dying is doing this with the child. It's not to be left for the child to do on its own. Mm. And so you put a picture there and then you put your name. So you'd put whoever you are as the mummy, you'd put their, your name there. And inside it says this is a book about me and and it's about yourself and your family and friends and about your illness and each page takes you through the different things that are really difficult right through and talking about what happens at hospital whether what is the operation that mummy or daddy have had um, and then the one that is probably the hardest one is talking to children about not living not going to be living for very long and um, this is what mummy or daddy feel. So obviously it depends on the child and mm. um, what the family's beliefs are. Um, you fill that in. The, it's very much a book that children do with a, a dying parent. The big mistake I made with this when I very first produced it was I was seeing two little girls whose mummy was not expected, was not going to live. She... Um, had a terminal illness, a terminal cancer, and um, they were involved in all the truthful information that they needed to have about this mum. They were about seven and nine. And um, she said, the mother said to me on one of the days that I was there, will you be able to help the children after I've died? And the children were in the room when this conversation happened. And I said, yes, if their dad feels that that's what he'd like, of course I'm around. She said, well, I just, I just want you to know, Jenny, that I, um, I and my husband don't believe in heaven, really. We, although I was brought up in a Christian family, I haven't lied to the children in all of this, and I don't want to lie now. Mm. So I can't tell them that I'm going to be in heaven. But what I have told them and what I want you to know is that I've explained to the girls that I will always live on in them, that they'll always have a part of me. That's something I am sure about, and mm. that's something I know. And I found that so moving and helpful. And both those girls have gone on to be every bit as special as their mum. She was a really special lady. And they've gone on, they've done terribly well, been through university, you know, and although they lost a very important person in their life at a young age, it hasn't stopped them being really successful and mm. happy adults. And that's, I think, we must always hold on to that, that it doesn't mean it's the end of the world if somebody loses a parent when they're little. Any final thoughts then before we, before we round off? There's one book I haven't mentioned, which is called Missing Mummy. And it's by someone very important in my life because she's my godchild. But she wrote about um, Missing Mummy with mostly illustrations. She's illustrated it. Um, and it's beautiful, beautiful pictures. And it says everything. It says, you know, when I feel angry because I really want her to come back. It's all these different. And if you read this, the child that's bereaved will 
possibly be able to share that they feel like that too. Mm. It's produced by Macmillan and it's called Missing Mummy. And I, it's, not, it's, it's a very good way of helping children. I remember one little girl that I gave it to said, it's a great book, although it's mainly for younger ages. I really enjoyed reading it as I could easily connect with it. And when I read this book, it definitely brought a tear to my eye. I also realized I wasn't alone and that I would get, and I would get help. I understand what happened to my mom as I am older now, but when I was younger, I didn't understand, and that book really helped me. So I think it's that. that yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Jenny, thanks again. Um, another fantastic, uh, well, 40-odd minutes of conversation, and, and hopefully to those people out there that are in a scenario uh, suffering through bereavement and, and managing their grief, they're able to find the strength to say the right things to their children, and, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Nick, can I just thank you? Because I know as a bereaved child, it's really important that um, you are so helpful in doing this work with me. Well, thank you. No, well, it's, uh, it's probably a nice ongoing long process for me to be doing several years later. So, uh, so it's great. And I certainly hope it's, it's beneficial to any of you out there who are listening. And we look forward to you tuning in next time. Don't forget to uh, check out the podcast description for any of the extra details on the resources. And we look forward to you joining us again very soon. But for now, from me and Jenny, it's goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>